Greetings, dear, dear listeners, and welcome to another episode of The Working Experience, a very warm, open-arm audio embrace and a squeeze. This episode is brought to you by my company, One Circle Media. One Circle Media is a hybrid digital agency and media content creator. We create and design apps, websites, videos, social media content, and physical products. We are artists, directors, designers, producers, coders, editors, thinkers, makers, and creators who embrace story and creativity from design, web and app development, animation, docs, features, TV shows, digital and social media content to physical products. For our clients, we create content that builds networks and audiences across multiple platforms. Check out our work at OneCircleDigital.com and OneCircleBrand.com. If you work for a network, studio, brand, startup, or corporation and are looking for a partner to create media that will build, engage, and entertain, reach out to me at John at OneCircleMedia.com. I'd love to hear from you. This episode is also brought to you by an app that I created called Still Believe. Still Believe transforms a picture in your home into video proof of your child's favorite magical characters. With the app, parents can catch the magic of the tooth fairy, leaving money under their children's pillow or Santa delivering presents on Christmas Eve in their home. You download the app, take a picture, and we create the magic. We utilize feature film visual effects artists to transform your picture into video. Just tell your kids that you have a special app that can detect and capture the tooth fairy then present them with the video proof in the morning. The look on their faces is priceless. Your Still Believe video is created in minutes, and you can then save it to your phone and share it on social media. The app is available for the iPhone and Android, and it's free to download. Our aim is to bring joy and wonder into the hearts of children around the world. Check it out at stillbelieve.co. Thanks, everyone, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Working Experience. Hey everybody, this is Matty Kay with the Working Experience Podcast. Uh, today I sat down with my friend Magisha. He is an actor in the Boston area, but he's been uh, to quite a few places, including the Cannes Film Festival in France with one of his projects. Uh, he starts off saying he's a pretty simple guy, but he's actually uh, a wonderfully complex man with a lot of really interesting things to say about the film industry and uh, the creative life in general. So enjoy. The working experience. Route 93 North is almost at a standstill. It's a rough one out there this morning. Snow and sleet. There is no service on the... Stand clear of the closing doors, please. Uh, yeah, folks. We're going to be a few minutes. We have train traffic ahead of us. We should be moving shortly. Y'all need that report ASAP. Where are we on that presentation? Yeah, HR wants to see you. Did you return that email yet? We have a team meeting at 10. To stay late, Bob. Teamwork makes the dream work. <laughs> They're moving in a different direction. And after the meeting, we'll have a breakout session. Who ate my Where are my hot pockets? This microwave is disgusting. Oh, God, what's that? He was no. living his Sexual toenails at his desk. <laughs> I can't take it Hey everybody, this is Matty Kay, and welcome to another episode of the Working Experience Podcast. Uh, today, I am speaking with uh, a colleague in the industry, and uh, if you'd like to introduce yourself. Uh, Magish Fruzzi, what's going on, bro? Hello, everybody. And 
just to give a little context, I met Magisha about a year ago now, I think it yeah, was, yeah, July. Yeah. Uh, we worked on a short film called HR. Yay, yay! And um, I'll talk about that a little bit more. That, that, uh, that short film is definitely giving me a lesson in, I hesitate to use the word failure, but not quite success. Mm. Uh, I think it's a, it's a success because I finished it and I'm yes. very proud of the project. However, it's not gotten into any film festivals, but uh, so I'm, I'm I, I preach about this a lot when I I'm a, as our audience knows I'm a teacher. I preach about this a lot. Now it's time for me to practice what I preach, and see about that. But Magisha um, worked with us as an assistant director, script supervisor, kind of all around go to. Uh, wore a lot of hats. Yep. Yep. Um, so how would you describe your, uh, well, let me start at the beginning. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay, well, I'm a really simple man. Um, I was born in Petersburg, Virginia, um, about a half an hour out of Richmond. My mom is from there, um, and she came to Boston and met my father at MIT in grad school. So my mom's Native American, my father's from East Africa, so I'm actually <laughs> African-American <laughs> at yeah, the truest extent of, of the word. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, I grew up from Boston, because um, mom was a school teacher here, uh, the school Young Achievers, she's the founder of that, you see her name right on the front, Betty Feruzzi. Oh, wow. Uh, so uh, education has been something that's always been really important, and um, just pushing herself. And my mom was a type of um, person and teacher that... If something was broken in the house, she just said, fix it. Now, this is before the internet when you could just YouTube everything. Right, and, uh, right, right. And, yeah, No, she was like, just fix it. I'm like, I'm like five. Yeah. She's like, fix the TV. And uh, so sometimes I would figure it out. But that mentality kind of was developed in me. So I never really saw walls or doors. I just saw opportunities to learn new stuff. And, but I always thought business was my calling, um, you know, and so I always grew up uh, envisioning myself being this businessman, owning some business, and uh, I would go to meetings with my mom. We'd go to um, this Court Street downtown Boston, and she was uh, on the Citywide Parents Council, I was the director of that, so we would meet with the mayor and other people, and I would sit on all these public meetings. But there was something that I just, I, that I, I was encouraged by, watching other people find their voice and just seeing people get up in front of people and talk. And I was like, wow, that's cool. So then I went to Latin school. Um, it's one of the little charter schools we have here in Boston. Before there were charter schools, it's exam school, you had to test to get in. And they had this class called Public Declamation. Now what that is, you just got a report or a poem or a letter and you have to get in front of the class and say it to the class. And That's a big fear. Look, you, people. Most people want to die. People think they it's easy. Nah, yeah. nah. Especially kids, because kids are brutal. Like oh, your, your classmates, they're giving you the brutal. gas face. Yeah. They're giving you the most things. You can't focus. People are freezing. Some people are crying. But getting up there, I felt something inside. Even though I was scared, there was also this little bit of rush and this emotion. I was like, I like this. I like. Getting like up you found in front. a place you could swim. Yeah, I was like, this is cool. All right, cool. But I didn't know what to do with that feeling. I didn't know. I'm a businessman. I thought, well, maybe I'll be in the boardroom. So I went to Morehouse College down in Atlanta, was double major international business and psych. I figured if you're going to have a business, knowing how people mentally function, a happier employee is going to be a more productive employee. Yeah. 
So I went there, and after I graduated, I came and worked at John Hancock and in finance, and um, they paid for me to get my Series 6. And I was making decent money out of college, but it just wasn't me. You know, like, finance guys are cool, but it's just not me. Like, old ladies would call, and they were losing their money, and I couldn't give them real advice. So I kept getting write-ups because I would find roundabout ways to tell them because when you're not supposed to give any advice. You, yeah. you, all you can do is so <laughs> I would be like, you know what? Um, hmm. I can't tell you what to do, but if this was my grandmother, what I might advise my right, grandmother right, to right, do right, yeah. is go to this website called right. This Government. Uh, do you have a piece of paper number? Yes. Call This Government. Yeah, and uh, right. So they, they're always recording and they're reviewing. And they'd be like, oh, Misha, yeah, we just listened to your call. I do something wrong? No, 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 but... Don't do it again. So your what was your title at John? Hancock? I was a, a, a they have a department called Signature Services. Uh-huh. Now they deal with life insurances that have um, investment features, whole life, so okay. annuities and different things. So I was a specialist. Then I moved up to a supervisor. Okay. Really quick. Um, and but then after a while, I broke my foot in the first year. But I'm still coming out. I had could have took the short term, but I was a supervisor, so I didn't want to leave my team. So one day I'm nailing my crutches, and we're over at the old Schraff building over um, by uh, Sullivan Square, and I took the shuttle over to the gallery to get some food. I come back, and maybe I'm an hour lunch, and maybe an hour, 15 minutes. I got my crutches. I'm moving slow. I come in at my desk, and they're like, hey, can we talk to you for a second? I go in, and they're like, hey, we know we're going to have to give you a verbal warning. I'm like, for what? I'm your top guy. I'm here on crutches. Like, yeah, but, you know, it's a bad look. Your lunch is an hour. Well, really, 45 minutes. You're like, I'm like, you know what? Yo, here's my ID badge. Here's my card, guys. I quit. It's like, really? Yeah, yeah right then and there, on the spot. I figured out if you, if people don't value you in life. Yeah, I know, over 15 minutes. Over 15 minutes, I'm making you thousands of dollars. I'm training your staff. Supervisors are coming to me with problems. People above me. Yeah, I'm here on crutches. It's not like crutches. it's a regular day. Right. I'm. Of course, I'm gonna move slow. And at that point, it started to change the trajectory of my life. Just leaving them, quitting like that. I went home, and instead of being mad, everyone was all apologetic. But I was happy because yeah. I made a choice for me. Like so, I quickly got another job at Concentra. They were out in Waltham. They were um, a workers' comp company, and I worked in their finance for about 10 years. And it was weird how quickly it happened. I gained supervisor again from there, worked way up, and I was in charge of Canadian receivables, so I was flying to Canada. This is cool. I'm a young guy. I'm flying into Canada. I got a damn corporate account. But still, that longing to entertain people was still in the back of my head. But again, I grew up in the... Um, in the inner city and theater and film isn't something that was actively discussed in my environment my neighborhood mm-hmm. I didn't even know that that was a viable option um, so I just focused on being a good businessman and I met this lady Diane that was a local actress and um, she told me she was I'd go see some of her plays and stuff and then one day I dropped her off for a play and there was another play that was rehearsing in the same building and as we're running up, the little director, she's like maybe five one. She's just cursing out this actor, like if, like, like she's just tearing him a new. 
um, backside. And then I step out, I'm like, hey, well, see, D. And the lady's like, she fires me, walks away. She looks at me, hey, get over here. And something about the way she said it, I'm 6'3", she's 5'1". I just walked right over. I was like, yeah. She was like, yeah, you look good. All right, get inside. I was like, what? <laughs> so I just walked inside. I didn't, Do I work here? Like, <laughs> yeah, I just, it was weird because the way she said it, there was no doubt or question that you weren't. So I just walked right in. I didn't know her She was like, Kiba Akba, um, August Wilson, the famous playwright, he only had one understudy. And this was Akiba Akba. This was that young director. She was a savant. She had a first theater company at 15. She'd been wow. trained in France. Like, so she was a no-nonsense, old-school throwback. But still, she was younger than me. But her soul was so big. And they were doing a play, August Wilson's um, play, uh, Joe Turner's Come and Gone. So it was the role she was firing the guy was for Jeremy. Now, Jeremy was this guy that travels with a guitar, and he just sings songs. He's kind of a nomad. And he meets this lady during, this, during the time, and she travels with him. And then he meets this really beautiful lady, and he leaves the one that's mentally better for the one that looks harder. And he's kind of an ego, egotistical kind of guy. And she was like, yeah, she looked at me. She's like, that's perfect. <laughs> there he is. There he is. I see Jeremy. And, um, and it was like a crash course. Because uh, theater and film, sometimes, you know, from being in business, theater people stick to kind of sometimes the theater and the film people kind of stick to film. But the best do both. Yeah. Because you're able to really grow when you're doing the theater. The theater doesn't pay. It doesn't. It, nah, it, I think if you break even. Yes, you're, yep, you're lucky. Yeah. And the amount of time that you have to spend yeah. doing the process, it, it's just no. I could do a print work and make $10,000 for one day. Yeah. I could do a play and make 1000 for three months yeah. of work. So yeah. the payout just definitely doesn't match up. And um, But she was good because I wanted to quit like a week into rehearsal. I'm on my left rehearsal crying one day. I had to go outside because she was just so aggressive, so aggressive, pushing, pushing, pushing. But I didn't know why she was pushing us as hard as she was because when that curtain goes up on theater, there's, there's no re or cut, let's get this other angle. Let's, it's That's it. That's you, terrifying. And you have to be mentally ready that no matter what happens when you get on stage that you can power through it. And her intensive training actually helped me because this is set in, I think, 1914, 1920, right around that time. So we have these really high-water khakis on. I got my mom's butt, Matt. Now, look, there's a scene where there's part of it. I'm like, yo, I don't just play the guitar. That's not all I can do. And I make the symbol. Like, I got a hammer. I know how to lay it down. I'm supposed to slap the floor. It's this metaphor for my sexual prowess. And when I slap the floor... The back of those khakis split wide open. <laughs> like, just wide open. I am literally ass out. This is a oh, live performance. This is live performance Not on live. stage. This Not is live, full theater. And because the pants were so tight, I couldn't wear underwear. Because I wouldn't yeah. button. So I'm really just ass out on ass stage. Out. Yeah. And, and this, I'm supposed to be walking across the stage. But I can't walk now. Yeah. So I've got to find ways to shave my butt upstage so I'm not mooning the old ladies in the front row. Yeah. 
And I'm looking over at my um, my scene partners on stage, and they're such assholes. Because I can see them fighting so hard to not laugh. So they're trying to find laughable moments in the context so they can really laugh at me yeah. on stage and yeah. it not be <laughs> And so finally I find my way and I get off stage. Everyone's backstage. Uh, they're all laughing their ass up. They're on the floor. But that was my crash course into theater. There's so no cut. No, no cut. cut for that. No. So when I then went to to theater to from from theater to film, I was like, "Wow, this is easier." Yeah. Like you 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 guys you got to dig deeper than this, and I I even see it now on some of the things where I'm doing shows or, or things and I go on auditions and directors will thank me for stuff that's weird. They're like, "Thank you for being off book." I'm like. Who's coming to the rehearsal not off book? How do you expect to get the role? The magic happens when you put the paper down. Yeah. You know, so that it was it was really, really encouraging and, and enthralling. And after I tried to go back to working in finance, because I still was working. So you were you were working yes. and you're doing theater at this on, time. On the side. And what year was this? This is two thousand seven. Two thousand seven. Okay. You know, yeah. so I just doing the theater. So on the you would side. go at night. Yep. After work. Yep. Or so. at work, or um, if it was something that was audition, I might try to take like a half a day to go. But I started to bug now. The other life seemed fake. Like like literally, I was acting at work now. Yeah. yeah. Like because I wasn't there mentally, I was just trying to figure out how I could do this. Right. And then a, a friend of mine, Jabril Haynes from Original um, Entertainment, they had this movie called The Plague. And they, I went on this and they cast me as the lead. Now, it's about this handicapped guy that he was uh, has some mental trauma to his frontal lobe as a kid. So when he gets emotional thoughts, we all have this thought, like someone cuts you off, like, ah, I want to just smack that person. But you know you don't. Yeah. Because it's damaged his frontal lobe. If he thinks it, he would do it. And so, and I played that role, and I didn't think anything of it. It was a small indie, no budget. It ended up making its way to France, and I won Best Actor in Cannes at the Pan-African Film Festival. Wow. So I'm about like a year in. I go through that, and I'm like, yeah, I'm in The director couldn't go, so I'm literally in France by myself. I speak no French, but I'm there. The film people are great. And they didn't know me in Magisha Finance. Don't even know me, Magisha, actor. Right. So it was just a whole other world. So when I came back, I was expecting, yes, I wanted Here to say, what is this? This is it. I have reached the promised <laughs> land. Yeah. And nothing. Yeah. Nothing. So I was like, wow. So I went back to finance. Then I got a call from um, CP Casting to come in and do audition for this piece in Rhode Island called The Brotherhood. And it was a principal role. So I went and did that. Booked it, and it was great. And I almost said, I missed my first time being on a Hollywood movie set, and um, principal, I'm there, I got speaking lines. Funny story. So we were set, and a uh, director comes to me after the scene. I placed undercover DEA agent. I go make this drug deal. Um, these cops pull me over. Cop says something to me, and I was like, okay. I reach for my badge. Cop screams out, gun, and they shoot me. This is 2007. This has an eerie narrative <laughs> to yeah. a lot of stuff that's yeah. going on now. Yeah. But this is on the show. So after that happens, so we go and the director's like, hey, you know what would be cool, Magisha? What if 
is it okay if we put you in the trunk in the next scene? I'm like, in the trunk? What do you mean? He's like, yeah, we'll put some makeup. So it's a big reveal. It would open. They're trying to get rid of the body after they find out you're a cop. I'm like, okay. In the trunk, there's like, look, they showed me this, the safety release thing. Like, they put someone in it, the stunt guy. He pulled it, it pop up. See, it's totally safe. Mm-hmm. They got a little oxygen thing in there, you know. I'm like, okay, all this safety stuff makes me feel unsafe, just so you know. <laughs> like, right. I know this is, right. this is having Why the is opposite. Why oxygen tank? Yes, this <laughs> right. has the right. opposite effect of making me feel safe. Right. The doctor's like, ah, oh, no, we got you, got you. So he put me in, and I wait. And now once they close the door, it's weird to be in a trunk. It's dark. I'm not really claustrophobic, but I don't... I'm not either, but I started to feel like, okay, get me up out of here, guys. I'm hearing the feet. I'm hearing them walking. And uh, they already set up the scene. I'm like, yeah, I'm waiting for action. I'm like, all right. Now, (laughs) I've been here about 15 seconds uh, too long. Let's go. When's the action? Then I hear action. He comes over and I hear... Then I hear, cut. What's wrong? It won't open. I'm like, oh, come on, guys. I'm like, stop playing. I'm through the truck. Like, you, you guys got me. This is a good word. You got the rookie. Then I hear him really struggling. And it won't open. And I hear him, pull the safety release. I pull the safety release. Does it work? Now, I'm freaking out. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm in the truck. Yeah. I'm freaking out. I'm like, guys, get me the hell up out this truck. Yeah. So then next thing you know, I hear them freaking out. So it makes me panic. Uh, yeah. Because then they're like, well, what do we do? How do we get them out? I'm like, you guys have no safety. I don't want to hear what do I do <laughs> <laughs> in that. Yes. I want to hear get Steven. Yes. He know, yeah. Get him out. Finally. Oh, my God. The guy, um, the stunt guy, God bless him. He was like a jack of all trades. He jumped in the back seat had like some knife and just cut a hole through the back seat, through the leather seating. To get you out of it. And I had to climb up. Yeah, yeah. So, so did they get the scene? Did they ever get the scene? Uh, yes. They called me back another day. They was like, hey, do you, um, we're going to have a lock guy come <laughs> yeah. and um, work on this. We're going to go to lunch right now. Right. And you could go back to your trailer. Right. And so I'm on my trailer and I'm pissed. I'm pissed. This is my first time on a movie set. I was like, screw this. This is not for me. Yeah, yeah. They come in. It's like, hey, um, do you want to go to lunch? Or we can order. It's like, what do you want? I was like, what do you guys got? I'm like, no nonsense at this point. He's like, what do you want? I was like, what do you guys got? He's like, we got anything you want. I was like, I want lobster and I want sirloin and some potatoes and some broccoli. And I slammed my door. 15 minutes later, they came back with my with, with this <laughs> the first course and then it kept coming. Like 20 minutes later, my lobster steamed perfectly, garlic butter. I was like, you know what? Maybe I was a little too harsh <laughs> yeah. in my assessment yeah, of this uh, business. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the director come talk to me in my trailer, and he was really apologetic. And then the stunt safety coordinator's there, and the guy from uh, Showtime's there. They're like, do you want to do an incident report? And I'm like, no, oh, now I'm starting to feel weird. I'm like, nah, let's just shoot it. So we went back, they brought another car, we shot it. Got the scene, but um, that was my first, so I was, from that point on, I was union. Mm-hmm. So I was never non-union, and I, like, I, I only know the union life. Right. And I'm um, going through, and so I left that though, and the director's cool, he hit me, I was with some stars uh, from the show, and we're all eating, and they're talking. Then I went back to work, and I was, I'm like, damn, I'm nobody. Yeah, how do you go from getting lobster 
a lobster dinner yes. on demand. On demand. To just sitting uh, at a desk. Well, I contrast that between you getting a verbal warning at John Hancock yes. for being 15 <laughs> minutes, minutes late. late with crutches. With crutches. Yeah. And these people are. I found on those films, I, I kind of figured out the. Well, I didn't figure it out, I wouldn't say, but I, I sort of thought the philosophy behind all the food and everything is stuff like that happens. So they got to figure out a way, like, all right, let's calm this situation <laughs> quickly because this guy's pissed. Yes, so, and you're right. A lobster dinner goes a long way to being like, okay, you know, all right, you were willing to do it again, yeah. and yeah, but that's a funny contrast. So you're back at work, yeah. and and I, and I just, I just, I was just dying. Filing paper, filing paper, and it was literally like the TV show where the guy would come and drop the stack of papers yeah. like in your inbox. And as soon as you would whittle it down, someone else would come and drop another stack. That would literally happen? That would literally happen. because whole, Now it's emails, stack. I guess. But yeah. yeah no, well, so. what happened at the time, because I was in, in charge of Canada, and Canada had Workplace Safety and Insurance Board, WSIB, but they, were on, they weren't digital. They were on a paper system. So we was having all their files shipped down, and then I was manually having to input it and cross-check it against our files. Oh, so this is for the whole nation of Canada. I don't even really know what that means, <laughs> like, and it just fills me with red. Yes, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yes, yeah. you know what I mean. So that—that that was oh, what the heck? Sorry, that is someone from overseas. No, it's okay. You need go ahead and take yeah. it. I got no, it. no, it's fine. I know the person. I can't give them what they need right now. They're looking for a bio for some potential work. But hey, what can I do, man? I yeah. sent you to, I don't have the bio they want. They wanted me to go and teach, go teach acting to some kids overseas. So, oh. yes, yeah, a partnership with the U.S. government. Go to Alaska, Guam, and somewhere else. Um, going on a military basis wow. and teaching um, acting to the kids that are from the parents that are enlisted overseas. Oh, wow. Yeah, we got the grant, so, but they want some of these people. If you ever work with the government, Jesus Christ, the, the red tape and the bureaucracy. My to... brother and sister-in-law both work for the federal government. So, yes. Yes. <laughs> I was hearing the, I was just down there uh, for three days. I just mm-hmm. got back yesterday. And yes, we are very <laughs> funny stories. But uh, yeah, so the documents yes. in the inbox, yes. they're finished. They come. Just come right back. Yes. And I just couldn't do it. And then yeah. somehow another 10 years just like that. You're just gone. Just so 20 years at the same company. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, that 10 years. That oh, over, that 10 years. I over see. that 10-year period, I'm okay. just there. And, and now I'm like, oh, my God, I'm hitting 30, like right now at that point, late mid-30s. And I'm like, what am I doing? The, the fire is still there. I'm doing little stuff here and there. But the work, because I was going higher up in Concentra, so my window to be able to do the acting started to close because I was always being shipped out here and there. Yeah. And I started to feel almost trapped, claustrophobic. And But then I still started to do little projects, hooking up little people in the industry, uh, indie films. And um, I met the lady that's currently my wife. And uh, and I remember I told her she, uh, she worked at um, a nonprofit. And uh, I told her, hey, I'm an actor. She's a sister with a retired singer at the time. And she was like, yeah, yeah, you're an actor, sure. I'm like, no, 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 really, really, I'm, I'm, I'm really an actor. Let me show you. Yes. Yeah. She's like, well, what do you do now? I was like, oh, I, I work at Concentra. She's like, what's that? Oh, it's a, it's a finance company. 
but you're an actor. I'm like, no, no, I'm really an actor. Hey, yes, you, know, you, you know? pay the bills. That's man. what I tell them. But luckily, I did. Um, I did. I, I I did a movie that when we first started dating, she was able to see that and oh. come to the screening, and I played the lead, and she was like, wow. You're really an actor. I was like, I told you that. <laughs> and, you're, and you're really good. She was, I was like, yeah. And then about a year later, Cassandra got bought by Coventry Healthcare. And they both had parallel departments. I had been there for 10 years. I had way outpriced the salary range for my position. Mm-hmm. So you know anytime those things happen, they're going to look how they could cut costs. Yeah. So I became a casualty. Um, and so when I got let go after the 10 years... It hurt, but it was, again, that similar feeling of the John Hancock because I was I was a slave to whatever they were telling me to do, when to go, when not, and now I was free to make some decisions for myself. And she, we weren't married. We are still dating. And she said, you know what? I make enough money that you should pursue acting full-time while your body can do it. And I was like, are you sure? She was like, I'm not doing this because I, just because I love you. I'm doing this because you're good mm-hmm. and you have a real gift. Mm-hmm. If you were sucked, I wouldn't do it, baby. I'm sorry. You have to go get a job. Right. We got to pay some bills. Right. But I believe in you. And having that backing really spurred me on to, to go to go at this hardcore. And, uh, you know, so now that was maybe about four years ago that we five years ago we came to that decision mm-hmm. so for the past five years I've been finding my way mm-hmm. um, doing theater doing different stuff got to the New York market uh, about the last year and uh, two years now I wish I would went sooner to that market I kind of had this fear and whether actors say it or not um, we look at like New York and California yes. and London as like these these magical mystical hubs yeah. for acting. So you think to go there, you need to have this and this. You need to have this training, and you need to. It's the same thing. Yeah, acting is acting. No matter where you are, you, there's good actors in New York. There's bad actors. In New York, oh yeah, oh, you yeah. know. So yeah. there's just more of them. You yeah. Know? Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because people go on there. I remember a cast director told me on any day they can get close to. Three or five thousand submissions for any role. Yeah, three or five thousand. Yeah, yeah. Like so, that's so. If you're thinking about that, that's how many people you're going against every time you submit. So you have to do something that helps you close some of that gap. Whether it's picking up a skill, whether it's training on your own. Um, I do stunts now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did some stunts in Proud Mary. I did some stunts and equalizer too for Denzel. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so uh, it, I did uh, some stunt on um, HBO series um, Dope, Dope Shades of Flyness. They actually tricked me into being on that show, uh, but that's a whole <laughs> other story. Yeah. Well, no, as you said, I mean, and you're a SAG. Yes. So you, I mean, there are tens of thousands of people who go to LA mm-hmm. and New York and have nothing. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have done, they may have a headshot. Yep. And that's that's about it. So, um, I remember a friend of mine. This was some years ago. I acted in his movie, and uh, it's it just free. None of us got paid. Mm-hmm. And he put out an ad in backstage at the time. It was the paper edition, 
And the post office calls him about three days later and said, you got to come down and pick up all this stuff. He goes down. There are three bins filled <laughs> with headshots and resumes. Yes. Filled. This yes. is for non-pay. Yeah. So when I hear people sometimes say, well, I won't do this, or I'm not going to do that, or I'm not going to work for free, I'm like, you know what? You could fill a phone book with what you won't do. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you know, you do have to have your, your baseline. You have yeah. to have your limits, but... Yeah, it's like, it's, I, there are probably businesses that are harder, but this one will, because it's just you. Yes. You're the product. Well, you know, and, and I think the one of the things that I had to learn and I'm still working through it, as a working actor, you're pretty much a temp. There's no guarantee of employment after this job. Right. So once you, while you're working, you have to consciously be looking for more work. You can't work this to the end, then start looking. Right. Because now you're behind. Because, right. again, three to 5,000 people. Right. So daily, every day you wake up, you're looking for work, future work, even if you are employed. And one of the wildest things that's happened in this business, I find, is not just me. I speak to other actors, and they say the same thing. When you're not working, you, you may book here and there. But the second you book a job, then multiple other jobs want to book you. I know. For the same day. Yeah. Like, yeah. like really? I know. <laughs> like, really, the same day. You yeah. couldn't even stagger it one day. Right. Yeah. But when I worked as a grip, same thing. <laughs> Month would go by. The phone mm-hmm. wouldn't ring. It would be like February. You know, it's kind of slow. And I'm like, Ugh, you know, and this and that. And then somebody would call. Oh, I got a music video, three days. It's, you know, 300 a day. Oh, great, you know. And then someone else would call. So I'm like, where were you a month ago, man? I, I, this is my third call for yes. three jobs in the same time. You know, it's like, it's feast or famine. Yeah, yeah. All the time. But yeah. I remember when we were shooting, especially the big day, mm-hmm. we're actually, for our listeners, we're sitting in the location that we shot uh, two fairly sizable days here. Yes. And one day we had a bunch of background, and, and everybody, the crew too, everybody was talking about on their phones, like, oh, you booked that, you booked that. Everybody was networking. And that was really gratifying that on our set, people were able to meet each other. Yes. Like, give me your number, give me your number. And I see that on Facebook. I see who, it, like, it really gratifies me that people really try to help each other out. Yeah. They're not cutthroat. They're not, it's like, oh, I know this person. Oh, I know that person. Oh, yeah, call her, call him. She's good. That's great. Well, I think also, too, it's a testament to, for you as a director, the type of vibe you created. Um, one thing I remember they, they taught in, in the film school that I went to, they were like uh, saying, hey, um, well, not the school, the classes it took, uh, they were saying, as a director or a producer, it's your job to make sure your talent is comfortable. You and the crew can be a little crazy running around because you got things to do, but make sure your talent's comfortable and they're at ease. Mm-hmm. So that they can just be focusing on their goals, and you made people comfortable, you made them at ease, so that if they then started making bonds and start making connections, I mean, I, I that's think that's the one thing I want, not the one, but one of the things I love about this business, it's the closest experience to college. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, for adults. Yeah, yeah. for adults. Yeah. Like, yeah. like if people that haven't been to college, people think that like you go there and you quickly you don't know anybody. And you just make friends, and next thing you know, you guys are friends forever. Yeah. Like, you have no real history to support this friendship that bonds so quickly, but it's solidified. This is my guy. This is my girl. And going forward, and that happens on film sets. You're on top of each other for four to five days, 12-hour days. 
you guys, you know, there's nothing really else to do. So you just start talking and sharing. If you're not part of the crew, if you're an actor, you, after you learn your lines and you get down, you have your character break down, you got your backstory, you've done all the due diligence you need of flushing out the character. And then you're like, okay, well, hey, how are you? What's your name? Yeah. Hey, where are you from? Or a lot of it was like people already knew each other. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, oh, you know, it's funny. I just got in touch with this woman from Facebook, from one of those actor pages, Mm -hmm. because I kind of looking for somebody for a future project. And uh, then I realized it was, um, you know, a young woman I haven't met. We're going to meet here. So I thought, well, let me call Gigi. Mm -hmm. So I told her this woman, Gigi, is going to join us. You know, oh, is that Gigi Jackson? Yeah. Oh, I've worked with her before. <laughs> okay, and Gigi, it seems like she knows everybody. Yeah, yeah, that that is Gigi. Yeah, she, she she's a people person. Yes, and uh, I met her before. She was she was an actor. Mm-hmm. Like I, she used to be on the board of um, trustees for this nonprofit um, in Winchester, Mass. That's and, right. Yeah, and that's I, where I saw her video on Boston casting. Yeah, <laughs> she's the first person out of this whole group I ever met. To do these little HR videos. Yes. These little kind of... And she came down, sight unseen, drove down from Winchester, never met me before. Guys, bang, she jumped right in, did it, and that was probably three years ago. So we've been in touch ever since. Yeah, she's great like that. And she does a lot of other things too now. Wardrobe, casting. And that's the one thing I... I, 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 It hurts me to hear some people, when they don't share casting notices... Or they don't want to tell you um, what casting agent they have or or anything they've learned on this business. I've been very fortunate. Everywhere I've gone, people have shared with me. They've shared their knowledge. They've shared the experience. So I try to do the same with anyone I meet. I'm not worried about if some, some people say, well, what if you're up for the same role? That, that's, that's, that's hogwash. If the role's for me, it's for me. If it's not, it's not. By me sharing with you is not going to stop me from being successful in my career. That you can't have that ideology in any business. Like you know, if you have knowledge, I think it's 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 incumbent on all of us to share. Knowledge was never meant to be hoarded. Yeah. You know, anything knowledge yeah. is meant to be shared and educated. Because the smarter we all get collectively, the better off we are. You know, and so I just like to share it and and network a lot and help some of the people to really understand. Like, what is acting? Like, I've taken a lot of classes, and sometimes from the fault of watching other people perform, I've been able to now find my style. And uh, being, a, being a, a, a supportive actor, a listening actor, um, being a, a helpful actor to other people in the scene, um, a lot of times when, I, when people think of acting, pe- anyone thinks they can act. Because if it's done really well, you don't see the degree of difficulty in it. It just it's looks easy. effortless. Yes. So it just looks like the living. So you're like, oh, I could do that. If you watch a brain surgeon, you're not like, oh, I could do that. I could just open up someone's skull. and No, you could see the degree of difficulty. When you're watching a painter and he's painting these beautiful strokes, you see the degree of difficulty. But for actors, when it's really good, it looks effortless. Somebody pointed out to me in the movie Training Day, there's that scene where they all get together at the end. His old team, mm-hmm. it's Ethan Hawke, it's uh, the other guys, and Denzel. And um, there's a, a person there. I don't want to name any names. This person <laughs> there is not an actor. Yes. He is a performer. He's not an actor. And a friend of mine pointed out, like, he's saying lines. 
whereas the other people, they're acting. And the difference, I mean, he does a decent job, mm -hmm. but the difference is glaring. Yeah. Because he's saying it, whereas the others, they might not even be the exact lines on the page mm -hmm. because I think once you reach a certain level, I mean, you do need to know your lines, obviously, but you, you inhabit that more. Yes. Whereas other people, they say the lines and they probably rehearse them a lot. But to me, that was, I was like, yeah, that is the difference. That really is the difference yeah. between a, a Denzel Washington or an Ethan Hawke or somebody else who's, you know, looks decent on camera and everything. But, you know, I wanted to get back to what you're saying about telling other people about jobs and casting directors. There was a, a great phrase I heard one time called enlightened self-centeredness, mm -hmm. where it's like, like when I worked as a grip, somebody called me for a job. I would, you know, if I was booked, I'd say, I, I'm not available, but let me give you a couple of names. Nice. And I'd call him back and say, call this guy, call this guy. And it always came back to me. It might be six months later. It might be a year later. I'd get, oh, you know so-and-so. Yeah, you could, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Nice. So it's like, even if it didn't, what I figure it's kind of money in the bank. Yep, yep. You know, you put it in there. And so if you recommend somebody for a job and it were, oh, no, but I know McGeeshe, he was, on, yeah. And it, and if you don't share it, you're right, it's never going to come back to you. Yeah. In a weird way, it, I don't know. You're not you're not investing it. Yeah, I suppose I, I would say. And I, I think the thing too for me is I love this. Like I yes. I didn't love the finance. I did it because it gave me money. But I love this. Like I love every part of it. I love the long hours on set. I love discovery. I love when people have these moments. They there's some moments they that's see that's the we we're visual people and and. If you are in tune as an actor, a really good actor is a symbiont of emotional threads that are around them. Yeah. You know, and, and so if you are able to have happiness from other people's happiness, it's very beneficial in this business because you have to be able to be an empath. You have to be able to feed off the emotions of other people, good or bad in the scene. And I think you see, like, there's one thing that people don't talk about in this business is that suicide is at a really high rate of actors. Um, and, and I think it's the being because we have a certain way of navigating the world. We Someone passes, we grieve, but then we compartmentalize that pain and we move forward. Because if we lived in it too long, it would stop us from being able to effectively navigate the world. But as an actor, you have to now go back into that pain that you compartment that you stored and now open that door back up. And so that you can pull from that and give real emotion into something. We've all watched a movie or something and cried. Mm -hmm. It's and we know it's fake. Mm -hmm. We know it's fake. Even yeah. if it's a documentary, it's a recreation, it's still fake what's actually happening right now. It may be a reenactment of something that was real, but what we're seeing is not the real product. It's fake. But because the person is so invested in what they're doing in that moment, we, the viewer, as the impasse, we pull some of their pain through the screen. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it keys into some pain that we've had somewhere that we put back. And that was what draws this emotional response, this visceral response to this imagery we see. So to be able to give that to someone, Make them feel alive in the moment, feel, feel happy in the moment, feel sad, feel love, feel angry. 
these are all signals that you're alive because you're having this feeling. So I think that's one of the things as actors that, that I'm the most passionate about, giving authentic, authentic performances. I just did this show where I play a preacher. And it's funny, my mom's friend, my mom called me, she was, this lady used to be my school teacher in fourth grade. So she saw it on my mom's page and said, oh, I never would have thought he would be a preacher, but he looks so great. What church is he in? Can I go? <laughs> <laughs> so he sold it. So I sold it. So yeah, he wanted to come yeah. to my church. Yeah. But, um, you know, and it's funny when I read some of the comments, because I don't like to watch movies I've been in, but I love to read the comments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I don't know why. Yeah. I just really, I, and I always respond, thank you. Even the, the mean comments, I got this movie that's on Amazon, uh, The Last Shot, I Played a Father. And I was, so many people were happy, some people. And it's, I, it's weird that two different people watch the same movie and their comments can be so at the different ends of the spectrum. Yeah. Because, again, it's triggered something, it didn't triggered something. Yeah. So I comment on all of them. I thank them for the response. If some, a lot of people in the anger, I just ask them if they could be a little bit more, give me a little more clarity. What about it angered you? Or what about it did you not like? Yeah. You know, we can't remake the movie, yeah. but I would like to have that. Maybe I'll take some of that going forward. Mm-hmm. And I, I've actually found some insight into pieces I've done from other people's comments where I didn't look at something. This one piece I did, the woman's comment, she said she didn't like it because none of the women had a voice. And when I watched it and I was in it, I felt they did. But then after she said it, I went back and watched it again, and she was right. Mm-hmm. And so I said, wow. So now as anything that I'm a, a part of, I'm conscious of that. Mm-hmm. Trying to make sure that everybody has a voice. Yeah. Like the women, the kids. Yeah. A lot of times we we overvalue our understanding and undervalue the understanding of the kids, the resilience of kids, the truthfulness, the honesty of kids, you know, yeah. it's it's beautiful. Sometimes to the point where it's overwhelming as adults. Well, like, it can be know, painful. It can be painful. Oh, yeah, can, yeah, yeah. Right? But a lot of times we don't bring that same level of intensity to the kid, to the screen. We try to give them some nice cookie cutter little script. Hi, daddy. Look hi, cute. You. Yeah. Look cute. But, yeah. you know, again, we're not doing them a justice. Yeah. We're not doing the viewer a justice. Right. Because we're not giving them the true opportunity for growth in, in the experience. So that, I think that's a really important. Going forward for me, just anything I do. To make sure there's a level of realism that's not what I want the world to look like, but how the world really looks like. Yeah. You know, and, and so people, it'll resonate with people and they'll be able to feel something on it. Well, authenticity is hard. I mean, when you're, you know, trying to write, especially when you're trying to write a little bit out of your comfort zone or direct, you know, it's like, would that person say that? Is that, is that what that person thinks? Like, I don't know. Maybe I should ask that person. Maybe I should ask. And I think sometimes you just get tunnel vision mm-hmm. and you're like well this is how I would see it like yeah. what do you mean you don't see it the way I see it well I come from a very different background <laughs> than you do yeah. so we would interpret things differently and probably goes to viewing as you said like two people watch the same movie some person's like I don't know I don't really get it and someone else it really resonates, resonates. with them and they understand it and it's uh, but I think that's kind of that, that's the 
that's the chance you have to take is yeah. being like, all right, I'm going to put this out there and I got to take whatever comes. Like, I put it out there. Yeah, yeah, you know the universe is coming. I didn't have to put it out there. <laughs> Nobody required me to put yeah. it out there. <laughs> and some people get very, and I used to get this way too. Like, somebody read a script I wrote or, well, I didn't get this. I'm like, what do you mean you didn't get it? What are you talking about? It's right there. Because I know what I want to say. Yeah. But they don't. So, but that's, I guess either you're kind of willing or you're, or you're not. Yeah, and, and I think, um, you know, even writing, acting, I think musicians, painters, anything, any, any dancers, anything. anyone that's, that's being creative, um, it all starts with how honest you are with yourself. And um, that honesty can carry you so much farther, sometimes the talent. Just being honest. You know, I don't know this. You know, let me, let me research it. You know, or um, I'm going to be naked, you know, uh, in this moment. Uh, I remember I took this uh, class with Tom Tibidoff. He, he has a conservatory in New York, and he goes around the country. And um, he used to be the actors coach to Sam Jackson, a couple other people, Harrison Ford, a few days. Uh, the two guys that were on, Will and Grace, he was the one that cast them on that show. And um, he came around, I took his class when he came here. The way his class set up is you meet as a small group. They give you a packet of reading and stuff that deal with the principles of acting, um, you know, all the different um, disciplines of, of, of how to act. Uh, uh, and then you would study with this group for about two weeks. And then when Tom comes in, you would perform uh, for him live and in, in a theater in front of people. Um, and then... He would help you, give you some critique on your performance, and then you would do it again after critique, and then you would talk it out, and then that would be the end of the next people would come up. And when I went there and I watched the group, something magically happened for me, and I became a fundamentally better actor from him indirectly, not from what he told me, but from watching him work with the other people before I went up. And here it is quickly. There was this guy. He was in inner scene. He has this girl that he's in love with, and she doesn't see him. She doesn't know him. Doesn't even know he exists. And he writes her this poem, and he's trying to talk to her, and she's just and he, she doesn't re respond. So when he's saying it, when he's doing his piece, and Tom stops him, he's like, "All right, well," and he's talking. So what's going on? Why? Why? How do you feel? He's like, "I'm I'm hurt. Um, I'm I'm lonely. I'm desperate." He's like, well, I don't feel that you're lonely. I don't feel you're hurt. I feel like you're saying these things. You're calm. Your voice is modulated. You're not, I'm not giving anything. He's like, matter of fact, he's like, do it again. Let me feel the hurt. Let me feel the emotion. He does it again. Tom stops him halfway through. He's like, I'm still not feeling. I still don't, I don't, I don't believe you. It's not authentic. He's like, you're holding back. Matter of fact, scream. Scream as loud as you can. Guy screams. He's like, that's not as loud as you can scream. Scream as loud as you can. Guy screams again a little bit louder. Still, she, but you, you can see he's still holding to it. Tom's like, that's not, that's not as loud as you scream. So then Tom screams at the top of his lungs, bellows the place reverence. Scream like that. Guy screams again, louder than the first two, but still not. And it was in that moment, I, and I, so then Tom, he kind of dug into him, and the guy got mad. And then he screamed at Tom, that's the best I can fucking do. And it was in that moment he screamed. And I realized those other two or three screams, he believed 
that was the loudest he could get. But there was clearly another level, and he was only able to get there when he lost control of himself. But why do we have to lose control of ourselves to reach our pinnacle? Why do we have to be broken before we can then rise up? And then I thought to myself, how many times, and I think I'm giving everything I got in these auditions, but am I? How am I? Am I? Am I? Like, and then I started to have to think, well, why am I not? And it occurred to me, men and women, we build this persona as we navigate life. This is who I am. You're mad, I'm Aisha. We go out and we meet people. We dress a certain way. We carry ourselves a certain way. We've identified this is who we are based on what has happened in life up to this point. Actors don't want to make that person look bad more times than not. So when they get a role, even though they immerse themselves in the role, a lot of actors are holding something back because they don't want to lose that person that they've been their whole life. And because of that, that inhibits or stops them from 100% going into that character. So that's why when you see performances, as you said in Trinidad, that guy that's there, he's still holding on to something from the outside, so he can't be 100% in that moment. And so when I went there, and it was it was irony, I had this epiphany, and my time came to perform. And I did my piece, and he was like, that's good, it's good. He's like, you know what, do this. He's like, you know Chris Rock? I hate Chris Rock. Sorry, I don't, I don't, I'm not a Chris Rock fan. I didn't tell him that, but in my mind. Oh, like, you yourself or not? Yeah, I'm not a Chris Rock okay. He's like, you, 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 you know Chris Rock? I said, yeah, of course I want Chris Rock. He's like, give it to me like Chris Rock. And this was the best test in this moment. He just asked me to be the one guy, the guy you don't like. I don't like. Yeah. But you know what? I just had this epiphany. I was like, all right, you're going to be the illest Chris Rock ever. So I did it. And it's a really heavy piece that I was doing from James Ball when the Blues Mr. Charlie. But I did it as Chris Rock. So it's talking about murder and death, but I did it as this comedian, with this comedic. And when I was done, the whole place stood up. Everyone, they clapped. There was an actress I had worked with in the past. She was my stage director for a play. She came over to me. She's like, I worked with you in that play, and I thought you were good. But I, I was like, uh, I thought you know, I, I thought you were good. But what I saw right there, that was great. That could have been a one-man show. I'm but and from that point on. That's how I've been charging forward. Like everything. Just leave it all out there. I found that as an actor, even as a human, give every damn thing you have. Let life pull you back. Because it will mm. when you've done too much. But then you know I, I did everything. Like right. I did everything. Like there's nothing, there's nothing you could ask for me. I can't give you everything I got. Right. You know, you see me how I work. I said I'm running, I give you everything. Pass out, wake up the next day, do it again. So I have, like, no regrets. Like, I don't, like, it's people like, oh, I wish, no, I'd do it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I did it. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm here, I'm living it. Yeah. You know? Well, I guess that's why, you know, you look at, like, football coaches. I mean, you look at Bill Belichick. Yeah. Does he look like an athlete to you? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> and I don't know, I don't really follow uh, professional sports too much, but I remember, like, Jeff Van Gundy was mm -hmm. the coach of the Knicks. Yep. I mean, he looks like an accountant. He's what, like <laughs> yes. five foot eight or yeah. something? He's just rocking a George Jefferson. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean, I guess that's what a coach is. Like they can 
see that you are not you think mm -hmm. and that's the problem yeah. it's like you can't see yourself a person cannot see their self the mistakes they're making or sometimes the good things yeah. that they're doing and you need that person who can say look uh, you just not this is what and and also not to just say that's no good but to say <laughs> do this yeah. like this is what because a lot of times you go to a, an audition or all that and they're just like nah and that's it. That's all you get. Yeah, you don't get. If you get two takes in audition, you're lucky. Yeah, and they don't get. You know, next. That's it. Now, you know, you, how many people have you heard say, "Oh, I think I really nailed that audition," and and then sometimes you think like, "Wow, that was terrible." Like, mm -hmm. geez, and they and you get a call back, and you're like, you know, I don't know. It's uh, it's hard to know, but that's the value. I guess we finished off. Uh, we were talking about a coach. You just need yes. a good coach. You need an out that outside or director. Yeah. Like the director who, you know, it's funny, like, how many movies has, like, I don't know, you could you could name an actor. George Clooney. I was yep. just watching a George Clooney movie last night. And I, I remember Bill Murray was talking about, this is a long time ago, uh, when he did the movie Rushmore, which was the first movie he did with Wes Anderson. Mm -hmm. And that was his second feature. And he was talking about how much he liked Wes Anderson, and Wes, you know, Wes Anderson, I guess, had been very intimidated to work with Bill Murray. He had a little bit of reputation; he could be a little difficult. But he said he just really liked the way he directed him because it was a funny role, but more quirky and eccentric. And he said he just liked the way he handled himself on set. And he, even somebody of Bill Murray's caliber—George Clooney, Denzel Washington, Ethan Hawke—you need somebody yes. to say. This and not that. I'd like it this way. You know, you said it this way. Hit this word. Or then to know, I guess, when to lay back and say, give the actor a little more license to, you know, try this, try that, and see how that goes. And, I mean, what Bill Murray said about Wes Anderson was he was so precise with his language. Mm -hmm. And if he missed a word in a sentence, in a, in a line, he would say, no, no, I'd, I'd like you to say it this way. You know, mm -hmm. he would come up to him and talk to him. He wouldn't yell at He said yeah. some directors like, yell from behind the camera. I've seen directors on bullhorns oh. before, and I'm like, really? <laughs> you can't come. Yeah, like, you got, I'm right here. Yeah, like, I'm right here. Hey, I, I see you. Hey, Medici, that was good. Can you just do me a favor? Can you not? <laughs> All right. All right, yeah. yeah. Can you, you. Uh, not scratch your nose and yeah. pull your pants up? Everybody's looking at us. Like, like, okay. Sure, no problem. Um, all right, everybody, I think we're going to wrap up this episode uh, with uh, Magisha. We're going to come back at you real soon with part two. Thank you very much for all those insights. It was wonderful. Uh, pleasure's all mine. Pleasure's all mine, brother. All right, everybody, we'll be back at you. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of The Working Experience. We'd like to thank our sponsors, One Circle Media and the Still Believe app, the only app that delivers video proof of the Tooth Fairy and Santa by simply taking a picture. Download the app at stillbelieve.co today and amaze your kids. And if you work for a studio, network, startup, or corporation and are looking for a partner to create media that will build, engage, and entertain your audience, reach out to me at john at onecirclemedia.com. I would love to hear from you. And that's it. The end. The sweet end. Until our next audio encounter.